0: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is Friday morning, and I'm drinking a hot cup of Bottom Gun Coffee from my friends at bottomguncoffee.com as I record this episode. I have another great show lined up for you, but before we get started, I wanted to mention that we are having a sale on my website. From now until Christmas, all my books will be on sale. Just enter the discount code ELF20 to get 20% off your order and domestic shipping is free. Any one of my books will make a great gift for the leader or future leader in your life. So head on over to johnsrenny.com to get your books before the Christmas rush. Now, if you're looking to support what I do on the show, you can purchase one of my books or visit my sponsors, bottomguncoffee.com and eyeofthewatch.com. Both use the discount code DEEP at checkout. Well, that's it. Today, my guest is, well, me. I get the opportunity to be on uh, many podcasts, and I really enjoy being there, going on these podcasts, and talking about leadership and leadership issues. But I was recently on the Armed Forces Brewing Company's podcast, and I thought it was an especially insightful discussion. I was interviewed by former Green Beret Scott Mann, and you might remember him from episode 92. Scott's an amazing leader, a master storyteller, and a brilliant interviewer. We hit some really important points on this episode, so I wanted to share it with all of you on this podcast. I know you're going to enjoy it. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome to Hero Stories brought to you by the Armed Forces Brewing Company. And I am your host, Scott Mann. Uh, It's really awesome to have you here. And more importantly, I'm excited to have my guest today, uh, John S. Rennie. Uh, John is a range of things. He's a business leader, he's a best selling author, Uh, he's a speaker, and he's a podcaster. Um, John is also the founder, um, and president of, of, uh, uh excuse me, the co-founder, the, the president, uh, and the CEO. Of of peak demand Inc. and uh, you know John has managed a range of other companies uh, in his life and I think one of the things that's most prolific and that I can't wait to dig into today because it's going to tie into all the other business acumen that he has and what he teaches. Uh, John's he is a uh, he is a former U.S. uh, nuclear submarine officer who made seven deployments (laughs) at the end of the Cold War. Like. Damn. <laughs> you know, that's astounding, man. And, uh, it's such an honor to have you on, John. Thanks for being with us and thanks for all that you've done for the nation.
0: Hey, thanks, Scott. Nice, nice to have, you know, nice to be here. Nice to meet you and glad to be on the show.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I think, I think it would be cool to take two different angles here. I think, first of all, I want to get to life. I'm fascinated by it. I want to get to life. I, I grew up with Tom Clancy and, you know, just his work and, and to meet somebody like yourself who really lived what he wrote about. I'd love, I want to get to that. I know, I know that our, our listeners and our viewers want to get to that story as well, but I think it's equally fascinating. Let's start with your backstory. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what led you into uh, the life of a submariner?
0: Yeah, um, I'm kind of one of those crazy guys that always wanted to be on a submarine. So I had a, a two, my, both my grandfathers served in World War II. One was uh, army, one was Navy. And, um, you know, I was kind of fascinated by their stories. And I was that curious kid always asking about, you know, what they did, what their experiences were. And for some reason, I got on the idea of studying about World War II submarine, um, uh, both uh submarines and their skippers, their crews, and some of the amazing things they did in World War II and how they, you know, really, in some cases, turned the tide of war just by having that, you know, that fleet of submarines out there doing these daring uh, missions. And it was just something that I thought was amazing. It was like underwater warfare, this this idea of stealth, sneaking up on your enemy, uh you know, protecting sea lanes. I mean, this whole thing was fascinating to me. And of course, uh, as you mentioned, Tom Clancy, this was, the Cold War was in full swing. Reagan was president. I, I was like, let's go. I want to go. I want to go out there. I want to go play cat and mouse with Soviet submarines. This is what I wanted to do. And, um, but was one of those things like, how do you become a submarine officer? I have no idea, right? So I had to figure out that you had to go to college. You had to study something technical. I studied mechanical engineering. And then you have to go through this rigorous process of getting into uh, the nuclear program, which meant as a junior in college, I went and actually interviewed with with the admiral of the nuclear power program. And so that's a little bit intimidating when you're a midshipman and sitting in front of, you know, the admiral for the whole nuclear navy. But um getting in then you have to get through a Nuke Power school which is sort of like I tell people like boot camp for geeks right you have all the top technical minds from the country all converging in this case it was in Orlando Florida and I I was way over my head I mean it was just just smart guys from top universities and and my goal was in 6 months just to Walk through the doors. That was all, that's all I had to do because I knew the rest of it I could probably get through. But that, uh, Nuke Power School was a big challenge for me because it was pure academics, pure math, pure science. Uh, and, uh, anyways, got through that and then got to the fleet. So, uh, yeah. And I, I, I showed up to the USS Tennessee, the first Ohio class submarine on the East Coast. We had the Trident 2D5 missile, a brand new missile. And we had a brand new boat with brand new missiles, so we made a lot of deployments. So I was uh, at sea. I spent all total two years of my life actually under the ocean. So just to give you some perspective. So,
1: man, that's astounding, John. And and I and I love the fact that you know I I do a lot of these interviews with veterans from all branches and and walks of life, and and it's always cool to talk to a guy like yourself because you know I was a as a former Green Beret people ask me how I got into that. And I tell you, like, I knew at 14 years old, that's what I wanted to do. I met a green beret in a soda shop and the guy changed my life. And, and, and and I, I look at a lot of the young people out there who they, they think about a career in the military. They think about, you know, pursuing something as, as radically challenging as what you did or being a Navy seal. And, you know, they think, okay, but I could never do that. And, and I could never pull that off but yet you did. What would you say to that young person who's thinking about that right now, wondering if they've got what it takes?
0: You know, I I actually wrote about it. In my la- my uh, latest book is is like I said, having a no escape mindset, which is you know ignoring Plan B, right? Going for Plan A and not having Plan B. So on the submarine, we always said that the number of surfaces has to equal the number of dives. Right. So you always had to get to the surface. There was a there was a that was the mindset, right? The failure was not an option. And so that kind of mindset I took into really getting through nuke power school. I didn't have a plan B. So You know, it was was the idea of doing whatever it took. And then I had to learn some systems, some methods to be able to, you know, get through the tests. I mean, I would imagine a story similar for anyone doing some physical things like going through buds or what have you or, you know, the training that you went through. It's just this mindset like I am not going to fail out of this thing. There is no – see, I – my worry was that I was going to fail out of Nuke power school and then be put on some reserve frigate out of Norfolk and, you know, just not have the career that I wanted. So I said, this is not, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get through this. And I think we can get through a lot in our lives. If we have that mindset that we are not going to, uh, we're not going to take, no, we're going to just, there is no plan B. We're we're going to follow plan A.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And it's just, you know, it's it's really about being unreasonable, isn't it? I mean,
0: unreasonable
1: in the pursuit of one's dream. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. yeah I love, I love that. The other thing, I, I okay, so something else that you do that I think is super cool, and and I talk to veterans about a lot is is you take the metaphors. From life in the navy, particularly in a submarine, and you translate it through storytelling into business practices. Now we're going to get to that. I don't (laughs) want to, but but I love the way you do it. I think it is. I call it narrative competence. It's the use of 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 story in real time to take one's past and make it relevant to the future for others. So uh, we're going to get to that. But but first, I think to set the context. You spent two-plus years of your life under the water, right, at a time that was, frankly, I mean, that was a very, very sporty time, the Cold War, particularly as a submariner. What take us through kind of a day in the life of that, John? What what was that like, you know, um in terms of the context? What was a, you know, what was a day like under the water like that playing those, you know, deadly cat and mouse games with the Soviet bear? What was that like for you and what did you take away from it primarily as a leader?
0: Yeah, so submarines are a little unique, especially missile boats. Um, we we when we deployed, we were alone. So we didn't operate with any other assets. In fact, we hid from all uh Soviet assets and US assets and and ally assets. So we actually hid from everybody. So we operated alone in the middle Atlantic Ocean, you know, hundreds of feet below the surface with absolutely no support. So what that meant, it was you against really the ocean and you know the the soviets in in our case and um so you know what we learned is is that we were in a shared environment we had this shared responsibility and vulnerability right if anyone made a mistake on that submarine we were we would all perish a junior sailor turns the, a valve the wrong way uh the captain uh makes a mistake in terms of you know, where we should be operating or or misreading a chart or what have you. So we were all in it together and every person was vital to carry out our mission and get us home safely. That mindset has always stuck with me, the idea that we're all in it together. Uh, And as I came up, you know, I came into my civilian career, I ended up running eight different manufacturing plants before I started my own business. But that idea of like we're in it together, and no one is more important than any, anyone else in carrying out the mission. We just have different roles to play, and so even myself as the as the guy in the corner office with the fancy title, I was no more important than than, than the the lowest person in my on on my team. We all had to, we were all in it together to complete the mission. And so, you know, the one thing I learned about leadership, it's not just about, it's not just about the mission, but it's about the people as well. And that's the real big takeaways I, I took from living underwater and, and being constantly surrounded by seawater that just wanted to crush you like a tin can, throw you to the bottom of the ocean. And it didn't care. Right. So we had to keep that seawater out. And then we had to, you know, and we, we had to hold each other accountable to keep each other safe and, uh, have each other's back. It's a big, big lesson of that. So, um, Yeah, and I think the other thing, just in terms of life on a submarine, it's it's busy. Like, there's a lot to do and a lot to be done. And there is a high level of positive peer pressure like I've never experienced before. When you get on board, you have to earn your oxygen. You have to earn your place on that, on that submarine crew. So you have to show your shipmates that you are an asset and not a liability. And you do that through a rigorous qualification program. Again, uh, something I took away from when I went into corporate world is like, okay, how do I learn as much as I can to be as valuable as I can? That's something I really learned on the boats as well.
1: Yeah, John. Wow, man. I mean, there's so much to unpack there. Um, Seriously, I I, like. I'm just. I'm. I'm enthralled by by how you approach this. Um, I think one of the first things that I take away, and again, I love your use of metaphor. You know, because I'm a storyteller, and and you know, the brain is a metaphorical pattern matching organ, right? So that when the brain's making sense of the world, the primary way it does it is through metaphor, and your I mean, your, your curriculum and your content is just chalk full of metaphors that you learned under the ocean. And then you bring them into the, into the business world. Like, for example, the, you know, talking about the, the ocean just wanting to crush you like a tin can and it didn't care you know, who, but isn't that true of the business arena for your manufacturing plants as well? I mean, isn't that the same thing? Like it's just looking for an opportunity to crush. It doesn't care who, right? It's, 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 it's just as unforgiving in many ways.
0: Yeah, and that's, and that's really one of the things I saw. And when I went into corporate America is that I saw there was a lot of internal battles going on. There was all a lot of infighting, right? So it's accounting's fault. It's marketing's fault. It's sales fault and, and finger pointing left and right blame, throwing the blame. All this sort of thing. And one of the things when I when I took over a business, I always reminded people that the enemy is outside the four walls, right? We you we are not, you know, we are family inside the four walls. The enemy, which is maybe your competition, maybe it's uh uh, in some cases, it might be a senior manager you're trying to get uh approval for some capital for some you know Im- you know some improved equipment or what have you. But the enemy is not inside those four walls it 's outside the four walls and and so yeah i've always tried to push that idea that and and it came from you know being on a submarine having that experience where you were just under pressure all the time and um yeah, and I keep trying to reiterate when I come into a business that it's on you know the enemy's on the outside. But the other thing is you, you, you nailed it, which is storytelling. And I think that's a really big part of the way, the way people learn and that's the way I like to lead too, is using analogies and stories to help illustrate points. And uh, my latest book is just filled with sea stories. And, you know, in the Navy, that's, that's a thing. You know, sea stories are like a big deal. Like, you know, uh, and, and we spend hours on watch telling sea stories to each other. And so this book is just filled out sea stories just for that same reason. It's a great way to learn an idea or a topic. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. One ping only. Please. As I thought, John Rennie's new book, All in the Same Boat, is right over there. It's at allinthesameboatbook.com. Your orders are to get there now. And remember be careful
1: what you shoot at. Most things in here don't react too well to bullets.
0: Bottom Gun is owned and operated by U.S. submarine veterans, and no one knows coffee better than the men and women who serve long hours keeping watch under the sea. Bottom Gun Coffee Company has a variety of coffee blends designed to keep you moving. From Ahab's Revenge Extremely Strong Coffee to their morning blend, Bottom Gun purchases only premium, certified, organic coffee beans from all over the world to create the finest tasting coffee you will ever experience. Bottom Gun is offering a discount to the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to BottomGunCoffee.com and enter the discount code DEEP at checkout. Bottom Gun Coffee, the taste that's qualified.
1: Yeah, and to that end, you have two books out. Um, um, I Have the Watch and All in the Same Boat. And again, I'm just, I'm looking at how you bring every one of these metaphors, which are, by the way, life and death metaphors, you know, like everything that you dealt with, like you said, one valve gets turned the wrong way and it, and it changes the, the stakes for everybody. Um, You know, one of the things, John, that I'd like to explore a little bit more, a little deeper, see what I just did there? (laughs) I love it. You know, is, is... You know, I, I categorize when I think about the business environment, um, in my time as a Green Beret, you know, I, I call it the churn. And it's, it is this environment of, of the human terrain where you have this triple D effect of distraction and distrust and disengagement. And I, and I was fascinated to see that you also highlight um, the challenges of of engagement that that's happening right now in companies around the world and businesses around the world that, that we have an, an issue with engagement uh, in this time of the Great Resignation as it's being called where you know talent is moving away from businesses. Can you talk a little bit about engagement and kind of what you see going on right now in, in the in the business world yeah. uh, from your experience? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, there's a big problem right now, and that is that uh, there's a major amount of disengagement in the workforce. You mentioned it; it's about seventy percent of employees are disengaged. And that's been the same thing for a long period of time. And, um, and it hasn't changed much. And we spent we've spent millions and millions of dollars to increase engagement, but it hasn't really changed much. And the reason being is that our leaders are disengaged. And if you think about it, so leadership is kind of simple, right? It's about motivating a group of people to accomplish a difficult task, right? That's, that's really when you boil it right down, that's what leadership is. Well, we, we promote people into management, right? And they forget about the people, the motiv- motivation, and the goal, right? Instead, they go in their office and they work on emails. They go to they go to conference calls. They go to they sit in meetings. They never get out to see their people, and so the people don't know what the mission is. They 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 lack any motivation because they have no interaction with their boss, and the boss doesn't even know who their people. Is. They don't know their first name. They don't know how they. You know, how, how they're motivated. So one of the lessons I learned on the submarine was we spent hours on watch together. We knew each other intimately, right? I knew every story of every sailor that worked for me, right? I knew, I knew what they were allergic to. I knew how many ex girlfriends they had. I knew, you know, uh, I knew t- way too much about every one of these sailors, right? And so, but, but then I knew, I knew what motivated them and, and, and they knew me, right? They knew that I was an authentic person that had stories as well. And I, I wasn't perfect, right? And um, and I think that's the, that's the thing that's really missing is that leaders connecting with people and treating them like people and having a relationship with them and knowing, you know, knowing what motivates them. And because I think part of the problem is a lot of people are plugged in the wrong job. And so a lot of things I do in leadership is just sort of unplugging people when they're in the wrong job and finding out which which role fits them better. And what, what you know, what are their hopes, dreams, aspirations? Can I plug that person in a job? That does that in their personal life, but also adds value to the business. And if you can do that, it's, it's, it's really magic. But I think the problem is, that too many of our leaders are doers and they're not getting out of their office and actually interacting with people and reminding them of the mission and motiv- motivating them towards that mission. I think, I think it gets lost in the busyness of life.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I agree 100%. I do a lot of work in the corporate realm, and I'm astounded, (laughs) frankly, by the number of very, very senior leaders, even at the C-suite level, who um, they are so disconnected from their people. And then, you know, John, look, you add to it what we've gone through with COVID. Um, And and whether you subscribe to it or not, whether you agree with it or not, you know, social distancing as a primary approach to a way of dealing with this pandemic Um, I was just interviewing uh, uh, Ivan Terrell, uh, who's a psychiatrist that wrote the book The Human Givens, and he said that, you know, there's a certain level of madness that descends on us when we isolate from each other. So, you know, you already had that 70% disengagement, right? And then you add. This isolation yeah. that goes with it, this remote work. And I, and I'm really worried about the levels of connection that, um, leaders have with their people. And then the final thing I'll say, and, I, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this is, you know, a lot of people in the corporate world are surprised, I think, to hear about the levels of empathy oh, yeah. that most of your military leaders have. With their people. I think that because of the movies and because of the way we're portrayed, it is like this non-empathic approach of just suck it up, buttercup. And, and there is that. But at the same token, I don't, I, you know, we're, we're trained to, to really invest in the lives of our people and to be an empathetic witness to what they go through. And I think we need more of that, not less of it in the civilian world.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's entirely true. I think people misunderstand military leaders. I know, as I've taken over different businesses, people are like, Oh, you were in the military. So you expect command and control. And I'm like, I I don't know where you know, where you hear that from. I mean, you don't, that's the farthest thing that I want to do. Right. You know, and I think, I think, um, you know, and I think a lot of times too, my, I had a really unique experience in that we were in this you know, metal tube for months on end. So we were really like really tight spaces, really intimate. So for me, being knowing my employees deeply is just seems like it's in the DNA. It's natural for me. I don't know if it's empathy or what, but to me it's common sense. You know, um I always say that uh you know people bring our business to life. So I wanna I want to be engaged with those people and help them bring that to life. Um, so yeah, so to me, it's, it's, is it empath- empathy? I think so. But I think it's also common sense. These these, these are your true assets. Like you got to maintain those assets. You need to make sure that they're respected, that they have the tools they need, that they, that they know, you know, the general rules of the game. Right. And then you, you free them up to, to carry out the mission, uh, and let them bring their whole self to work, right. All their passions, all their personalities, and you let it bring it all, bring it all to work. And, you know, and I know some leaders say that, People are messy, and I actually agree with that. People are messy, right? They're going to do weird things. They're going to do strange things. they got hang-ups and quirks, and they've got history, and they've got uh, relationships, and they got problems. But the other side of the coin is is that they're amazing. Like if you if you get an employee on their game and they really pa- have a passion towards something, they can just they'll 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 exceed your expectation. They will do things you never expected. So, you know, for me as a leader, it's just trying to get to that level where they're where they feel free enough to 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 pursue things with passion and to bring everything to work. And uh, so I think that's part of it. Now, related to COVID, I think this is something that's really interesting that's happening. So during COVID, we sent people home to work from home, and they were given freedom, right? They were given, okay, I can sleep in a little bit, maybe I get on a Zoom call here and there, but I have a lot more freedom. And so now what we're going to say is that we're going to make you go back to the office maybe someday, right? And we're going to take all that freedom away. We're going to make you work nine to five. We're going to, we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to make you sign in, clock in, and we're going to track everything about you. So it was okay for you to be free before, but now you can't be free because you're now in the office. So it'll be interesting to see how many people say, you know what, I'm not going to play that game. I'm going to start my own business or I'm going to go look for something that gives me more freedom. Uh, but I think that's going to be a problem. When, when bosses try to go back to the way they led before the pandemic, I think they're going to have a hard time finding people that are willing to be controlled in the way some bosses lead.
1: I think that's a great observation, and, and frankly, I you know I guess maybe I've thought about that around the edges, but I've never thought about it to that degree. That makes a lot of sense, and I think it could help explain you know this talent tsunami that we're seeing right now, where people are they yeah. are displacing, uh, and in some cases they don't even know why. But maybe it's what you said they've yeah. gotten a taste. Of, of that autonomy, that agency in their life, and, and now they want to pursue it. Um, okay, so let me ask you this. this. There was one more metaphor that you used that just really jumped out at me. And, again, I, I think it's because I'm so fascinated with the miles that you've run in your life. But um, you, you, you w- w- tell me why is firefighting on a submarine, which I can't think. I mean, I can think about things yeah. that suck in life. I can't think about anything that sucks much worse <laughs> than that. But why, why is firefighting on a yeah. submarine such an important analogy for life and yeah business?
0: you know um. I, when I tell people I was a submariner, they ask a lot of questions. But they, they, when I tell them I'm a I'm a trained firefighter, they're like, "Wait, what?" And, and they don't realize that we're all trained firefighters. Every every crewman is a trained firefighter. And the reason is is that you know, like if if you're at work or you're in school, they pull the fire drill. Everybody leaves, right? And then the and the uh, the experts come in, and they and the experts. You know they go put out the fire, why? Why everybody goes safe? Well, when you're deployed, you're alone in the middle Atlantic Ocean. There is no nine one one, right? So when there when something happens like a fire, you run to it. So you take you you. So your you know your instincts are to run away, right? When there's danger, but we were taught to run towards the fire, and the reason being is that you want to get it out quickly. Before it can spread to weapon systems, it can fill the, the submarine with with gases, uh, secondary explosions, all sorts of bad things can happen when you have a fire in a submarine. And so we run towards the fire, we put it out quickly before it gets out of control. That's the mindset, the mentality. And what the analogy I've used in business is this: the same thing. You know, we have problems in our business, and we have like sort of this natural tendency for career protection, right? So we want to preserve our career. So everybody, I've known, I've observed this as an early when I first went into corporate, like people moving away from problems because they didn't want to. They want to be associated with that problem, and what ends up happening is those problems grow and get out of control, and eventually they reach you know, the senior management level and then suddenly it's a it's million dollar problems, multi-million dollar problems, because we didn't take care of it when it was small. And so that kind of mindset I've always brought into business, which is, you know, attack the problem when it's small and put it out when it's small so that it doesn't become a big issue. So that you know, and there's another side to firefighting that I want to mention as well is that some companies are just pure chaos, right? That everybody's firefighting, everybody's putting out fires. And I always say that it's the leader's job to maintain to to build a smooth running business where firefighting is the exception and not the norm. But when there is a problem, you know, we've got to run to it, we got to take care of it quickly before it gets out of control. And that's, that's kind of what I bring what I've been bringing to my business career. And, and it came right from, you know, the days of running through the boat, putting on an EAB. And literally, you said sucking, we were we called it sucking rubber, we'd suck rubber until we put the fire out, right? So and it didn't matter if you were an officer, enlisted, senior enlisted. Everybody suck rubber. We're all, we're all in it together, you know, so. That that's the thing. Yeah.
1: Such a great, um, you know, you're such a great sense making tool that you use with these metaphors, man. I'm serious. And and I love the fact, you know, here's the other thing. And and I want to I want to pivot into one more question for you uh, around transition is that. And I'm just going to point this out as a fellow storyteller, as a fellow small business owner and someone who's transitioned from, you know, um, my service about nine years ago is it's very evident to me. That you have taken the time to look at the problem through the lens of the civilian business owner and then bring value from the world you are in to their problem. And I think that is such a critical skill. Again, I call it narrative competence. Mm -hmm. It's the ability to use narrative in real time to meet the goals of the other party Mm -hmm. and then yours. And you do it. I mean, you do it because you look at the pain of the business owner and then you bring forward your own experiences through narrative to address that pain through what you've learned. And I just think what a great transition skill for veterans who can do that. And that's a skill. You've worked at it. What else would you share with a veteran right now who is maybe one year out from transition or freshly out from the military? They're trying to sort out this new planet that they're on. What what advice would you share in your journey in transitioning from the Navy uh, to get to where you are today?
0: Yeah, that's a big part of it um, is that, you know, in the military, they kind of told you what to do, right? You know, when I showed up to the boat as a young uh, 01, we, a butter bar, right? Uh, they gave me a call card. They said, here, you're a nub. And nub meant you're a non-useful body and uh, get qualified, right? So that that positive peer pressure was like an environment where I needed to learn as much as I could as quick as I could so that I could add value to the team, right? So when I came into, I came into my first job in corporate America was I was a design engineer for a major global company uh, working on product development. And they gave me a cubicle and a stapler and I didn't get a computer for two months after I, they hired me. Right. So, so I didn't know what to do. And, and, and my boss was fired shortly after I was hired and they brought a new boss in and he took a while to get up to speed. I didn't know what to do. So I basically, I just found other engineers that were talented, the skills. And I said, show me what you do. Teach, me, teach me what you're doing. Uh, if you go to the shop floor for anything, take me with you. I want to learn. And I just became uh, very similar to what I did in the boat, which is spend time with the experienced people, learn from their experience, learn from their knowledge. So I learned, I tried to get qualified in this, in the civilian world. It was kind of the same mindset, except we didn't have a qual card. I sort of had to make it up on my own and figure out exactly, okay, what does a design engineer do at this company? Cause I don't really know. And my boss just got fired. So I just got to figure it out on my own. But it was that mindset of get qualified, get add value, right? And, um, become someone that is. Uh, an asset to the company, not a liability. And I kept doing that. And I volunteered for everything uh, because it was a chance to learn and meet people. And um, I built up a lot, what I call skill stacking. I stacked so many unique skills as a young uh, person coming into corporate America that five years out of the military, they gave me my first manufacturing plant. So five years after coming out as a junior officer, I was leading a manufacturing plant. By the way, never did that before in my life. Never had, had no idea how to run a manufacturing plant. But they gave me my first plant because they saw that I had so many unique skills and uh that fit really well with the job. So skill stacking is something that's really, really important. Um, I talk about it in my book. Um uh The Dilbert cartoonist, what's his name? I forgot his name. But uh, the guy that does the Dilbert, uh, Dilbert cartoon writes about it. He calls it... uh Scott Adams. Yeah, Scott Adams writes about in his book, he talks about talent stacking. And that's how he became a, you know, kind of a really famous cartoonist, was he stacked these certain talents on top of each other and he made, it makes your, you make you, yourself really unique and special in the business. So your military experience is part of that, that, that skill stack. You have grit, right? So if you, doesn't matter what you did in the military, you have grit and perseverance. And that's that's actually the number one thing I look for when I'm, I'm looking for an employee. Have you done something difficult in your life? Do you have the ability to withstand adversity? That's number one for me. And so you have that as a veteran first and foremost. And that's really an important skill because a lot of people want to give up when things get tough and veterans typically, you know, push through
1: that's great man and such good advice you know you were talking about you know going to co-workers and asking what they're doing and, you know in in the shoot house you call it looking for work uh you know but it's the same thing right you don't just stand around and uh, that's really great um if if folks want to uh if they want to find your books or they want to find out more about working with you john what, what do they do
0: yeah, everything's on my website, it's johnsrenny.com. My books are there, my social links are there. I run a podcast called Deep Leadership which is on all the, you know, podcast channels, but there's links in the uh on my website as well
1: yeah I love that man. and I love the fact that the the number one thing you look for is grit, you know Daniel Coyle in his book, The Little Book of Talent, he says that struggle is a biological imperative yeah, 100%. it's a biological necessity yeah. and and I think that you know the leaders who embrace that and stand on it, you know the 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 ones who like embrace their scars are the ones we follow yeah. um what have we not talked about today? Uh, John, in the realm of leadership or or transition or anything that that we should have talked about, that's on your mind that you'd like to share with folks before we close.
0: Yeah, I think just the the bottom line, and, and I mentioned it a little bit, is that uh, you know at the end of the day, leadership is a people business, right? You, if if there's no people, you don't need a leader, right? So leading is all about people. And, you know, we keep hearing these phrases that people are our greatest assets, but I've, you know, most companies don't really actually do that. But really, truly, they, your, your people can add tremendous value to the company if they're motivated properly and they have a boss that cares and has their back and, uh, and you can do amazing things. So leadership is a people business. And if we remember that, we're going to be much more effective leaders.
1: Yeah. So good, John. Listen, man, uh, I can't tell you how cool it is to to have spent some time with you, fascinated by the miles that you've run and equally as fascinated by how you've translated it into such genuine, generous uh, leadership for the civilian community. I mean, you're bringing stuff that, frankly, the country needs right now. They need guys like you showing us what leadership looks like. So I, I appreciate everything that you're about. Um, I I think your your leadership approach is is fantastic, and uh, I, you know, I I hope that you'll come on the podcast again sometime and and chat with us.
0: Absolutely, Scott. It was an honor, and it was great talking with you and uh, talking with everybody out there. So. It's uh, great, to, great to meet you and great to have this conversation.
1: Yeah, right on. And, and thanks to everybody for watching this, uh, this episode of, uh, of Hero Stories. And thanks to Armed Forces Brewing Company for making it happen. I'm your host, Scott Mann. Uh, thanks for what you do, and we'll see you around. Electricast transform your influence.
0: ElectroCast. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very
1: special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish
0: remixes, out now on Electricast Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. love
1: Available now wherever
0: you listen to music.